Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Morning to the rest of you. How many are glad that you're in church this morning? Yeah, we'll see about that. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I appreciate Pastor John and uh, just out in Martinsville uh, with him and his wife and uh, appreciate the the work that the church is doing in Martinsville. God's got good things in store for them, good things in store for this church, good things in store for you as an individual. Amen? Amen. Do you believe that? I think the Lord's passed you by because of your mistakes and your problems and your issues, your idiosyncrasies. The fact that you don't have what other people have, that's a lie. It's not just not true, it's a lie. <clears throat> the truth is, is that he desires to use you tremendously if you'll just say yes. This is a, a very important morning at uh, Neighborhood Church, not because I'm here, but because the Holy Spirit has come and he has something he wants to speak to our hearts. Do you believe that? Do you have an expectation in your heart? <clears throat> that the Lord has something he wants to share with you? If it's just me, you'll be disappointed. Will be. But if it's the Holy Spirit, he'll speak to your heart and he'll change your life as a result of the word. Because the word's alive. It's quick, powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalms 20. How many still bring an actual paper Bible to church? That's good. You're not more righteous than the people with the iPhone. But I, I can identify with you a little bit because I like to hear the rustling of the pages. The iPhone, you just hear beep. It's, it doesn't have the same kind of taste to it. Psalm chapter 20. <clears throat> this was a sacred song written by David. It's an actual song. And it was usually sung prior to the time when the king was going to war giving you a little bit of context for this. It was a battle prayer or a litany, if you will, which was probably chanted in the sanctuary on the eve of a great expedition to crush the rebellion of the Ammonites and the Syrians. So this would be the first time that it was used, all right? You can find that historical record in 2 Samuel chapter 10. And it was a great victory, And before they had this great victory, before they went to war, they gathered together at the church, their church, their temple, and they said this before the Lord and called on the Lord to minister in the battle. And there was the king, and there were the people, and there were the warriors, the army, whoever it happened to be. So this was a song that they'd sing as they came together. They would recite it. And it was divided up into portions. And we're going to pretend that we're either the people or the army this morning. And I'm going to be the king. Now, when you get to preach, you can be the king. But not this morning. All right? Get over that or you'll, you'll miss the rest of the message. Psalms tw- chapter 20 and verse 7 is actually one of my favorite verses in the book of Psalms. And I thought I had it kind of, you know, clued in as to what it was about and what it meant, what the background was, and all those kind of things, until such time as I I studied it a little more. 
got a little deeper into the word. And this is what I found out. Historically, actually, God commanded Israel from the time they left Egypt not to use horses and chariots when they went to war. The law even states that David could neither have chariots or horses for that purpose. So those who came against him with a cavalry must have been seen as to have a great, very great advantage. Can you, it doesn't mean that they didn't have horses or they didn't go to battle. They just didn't use horses and chariots for that purpose. Think about it for a minute. Thousands of horses and chariots arrayed against your army of footmen with slings and arrows and pea shooters and, and what I don't know what they had back then, swords and shields, whatever it was. It doesn't matter. But it wasn't a horse and it wasn't a chariot because the Lord said that that wasn't allowed. You don't have any horses. You don't have any chariots. You don't have any tanks. You have no ballistic missiles. How many know you're in trouble if God doesn't intervene? Or man? Those were not just, these aren't the kind of horses and chariots you see at the fair, you know, that, that uh, before the, the, the demolition derby, they, they do a race and there's just enough room for the person to hold, uh, hold onto the reins of the horse in this little, uh, uh, it's almost like a garbage can chariot. That wasn't the way it was. It was a massive, massive chariot. And the guy that was running it was no, no small guy. And, and the horses were huge. And when you had that roll by you, the ground would thunder because it was that heavy. Well, if you get thousands of those, how many know that you would eventually hear it coming from a, wa- a long distance away? A long distance. And Israel knew that this is who was coming against them. And yet the Lord had specifically said, do not fight with horses. Do not fight with chariots in the same way that everybody else does. I will be your deliverance. David knew that Jehovah was his God, and Jehovah was more than a match for all of his foes who trusted and had confidence in their armaments. Listen closely, you'll hear a theme. If you read the account, you'll see how great the victory was in that specific battle. Deuteronomy 20 and verse 1 says, When you go out to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you will not be afraid of them. For what? The Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord your God is with you, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He will provide. This would normally be seen as a recipe for disaster, except that Jehovah said that he would make them victorious regardless of the situation. So as I read that, I began to wonder, what's the issue with horses and chariots? What's the problem with having a whole whack of those? I mean, I, I, you know, you got to have some kind of weapons. What's the problem with that? Three things. Number one, if Israel used horses and chariots, they would always be tempted to go back to Egypt. Always. By not allowing Israel to use horses and chariots, God was keeping them from the temptation of wanting to go back and live there. And he commanded them when they were delivered from Egypt, Don't go back there again. You're never to set foot in Egypt again. Deuteronomy 17, 14. When you you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it, and you live in it, and you say, I'll set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your countrymen who you shall set as a king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countryman. Now listen. Moreover... 
He, this king, will not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you will never again return that way. What is the big deal? The big deal is this. Egypt at that time was the premier source of breeding farms that produced war horses. If you wanted a war horse, that's where you would go. And they had the best. They had the top of the line, the XL category, I guess, of war horses, whatever that happens to be. They had the top of the line. And they would always be tempted, Israel would always be tempted to go back to Egypt and buy those horses so that they could win the battles that God was going to bring them into. They'd be tempted to make alliances with Egypt to acquire horses for their army. And so God made a prohibition against the use of horses to ensure that Israel would not depend on them and in so doing, be tempted to go back to Israel. There's a thread here. There's a theme. Listen closely. Number two. The truth is that Israel was always a defensive nation, not an offensive nation. That's the way the Lord set them up. They've been that way ever since. Horses and chariots were the appendages of war, and as a result, they were forbidden to Israel, for war was not their trade. I didn't say defense. I said war. That was not their trade. They had no standing army. When I say no standing army, it's not that there wasn't anybody that went to battle when the need was there, but there wasn't a standing army like maybe the United States has, where, where you've got multiplicity of people and armaments and everything on a regular basis, and they're just looking for opportunities to be used. Israel didn't have that option. They were always to be conscious of the inadequacy of their resources. Hear me. Israel was always to be conscious of the inadequacy of the resources. Always. That God was their source. Always. And that if there was a battle, it would be him that would win that battle and not themselves. And so thus they were taught to implicitly trust in the Lord their God. Implicitly. How many know that if you're going to go to battle with people who've got that kind of carnage available, that you need to trust in something if you can't trust in yourself? And Israel was called to trust in the Lord only, just the Lord. I would suggest that this trust was regularly reciprocated by God, even to this day, amen? I can tell you, regardless of what you think your politics are about the nation of Israel, you don't want to get into a fight with them because you'll lose, all right? And it doesn't matter if you think that they have blood on their hands or if you think their politics are poor. And I know there's lots of discussion going around about those kind of things, but it doesn't supersede and, and, and go above what the Scripture says when the Scripture says that they are the apple of his eye. Your children are the apple of your eye. I want you to know you raised some scallywags. That's not prophetic. I'm just saying with the number of people that are here, there's probably a couple of scallywags represented. But that doesn't mean they're not the apple of your eye. That doesn't mean you wouldn't do anything for them and love them and care for them and stand up for them in the place of need. Amen? And God will do that for Israel as well. He did before. He continues to do it right through to the end of time as we know it. Isaiah 31 said, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help 
and rely on horses, who trust in chariots, because there are many, and horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the holy God of Israel or consult the Lord. There's a theme here. The same truth applies as much to the church today as it did to Israel. Jeremiah points to the tendency which men and women have to trust in the creature rather than the creator. You'll find this in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 5. He says, this is what the Lord says. Whenever the Bible says this is what the Lord says, we need to pay attention to him. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, who makes the flesh his strength and turns his heart from the Lord. He'll be like a shrub. Say shrub. How many would be really excited to be considered a shrub? I mean, I like that term. It makes me laugh. The term shrub, I was telling the Martinsville team, it just, I, whenever I hear that word, I giggle when I think about it. I, how many want to be a shrub and not a redwood? Anybody? Any just, and shrubs, are, they're just things that get in the way. There's stuff you cut down. If you've got a decent lawnmower, you can cut it down. You just get it out of the way. Nobody wants to be a shrub. Nobody wants to be a shrub. Nobody certainly wants to be called a shrub. Nobody. But the Lord said, if you trust in yourself, if you trust in your flesh, and therefore turn your heart from the Lord and you don't trust in him, you're like a shrub in the desert. There's no place where they have tourist attractions surrounding shrubs. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. But everybody wants to go to Vancouver Island and see the redwoods because they're significant. You want to be significant in the kingdom of God? Don't be a shrub. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't want to be a shrub. Turn to your other neighbor sir. you look like a shrub to me. <laughs> now don't beat on each other. He said, this is what happens if you trust in your strength. You'll be like a shrub in the desert. You will not see prosperity when it comes. I'm from Alberta. I know of what this speaks. We've seen prosperity come many times, and I don't know, somebody missed it, because it's not there anymore. But you'll not see prosperity when it comes. Imagine the Lord blessing you, and you missing the blessing because your focus is on your ability. How much would that suck? How bad would that be? You'll not see it. You'll not see the prosperity of the Lord. You will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. How attractive is that? Not attractive? I want to move there right now. But then he said, blessed is the man who trusts who? Who? In his arm, in his flesh, in his ability. Who does he trust in? He trusts in the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. What will happen to the man who trusts in the Lord? Whose confidence is not in himself, but is in him. Whose confidence is in the Lord? He'll be like what? A tree planted by the waters that sends out its roots toward the stream. Now here's the deal. It doesn't say there won't become a time where there's famine in the land or where there's heat that comes and the crops don't grow or maybe money's a little bit tight. The atmosphere around which you live may not be conducive to prosperity, at least by the nat natural eye it doesn't, but it doesn't matter. He said, it will not fear when the heat comes. Hear me, if you'll trust the Lord, I don't care what recession or, or whatever the case may be, economically comes to your particular job, you don't have to be fearful. 
Because your trust is not in you. Your trust is not in the right government. It's not in your boss. It's not in your abilities, not in your degree. It's not in your pedigree. It's not in all of your friends. Your trust is in the Lord. And if you trust the Lord, you can believe that that promise is as valid for you as it is for Israel today. Amen? Amen. Trust him. Don't trust in the arm of the flesh. You'll be like a tree planted by waters that send out its roots towards the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are what? What's the word? What's the word before green? What is it again? Always green, always healthy, always available, always in good place. Not suffering, but always green. In spite of the fact that maybe the atmosphere that surrounds us where we live is not the best. It will not worry in a year of drought and it will not cease producing fruit. That's your promise this morning. You need to take that and put that on your fridge. That's the promise of God for you. Paul goes on and he tells us that although we battle, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers. 2 Corinthians 10.3 Though I live in the flesh, I do not wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of my warfare are not the weapons of the world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean? That means that your battle is not what you can see with your eyes and your flesh. Your battle is beyond that in a realm you have no capacity to deal with. And so if you're looking for victory in a heavenly realm using fleshly means, you of all people will be greatly disappointed because you will not win that battle with those weapons of your warfare. You'll only win the battle if you use the weapons that God has ordained for you to have and if it's going to happen, it's going to have to be done his way. Amen? You're awful quiet in the house this morning. If you're going to win that battle, it won't be won because you have a degree. God bless you if you do. It won't be won simply because you're rich or you have a business that's successful. It won't be won simply because you've been able to have numerous children and grandchildren. You have a great lineage of which you're, you're thankful no, no, it's one because he deems that it's one. It's one because it's him that brings this battle to fruition. It's one because the weapons we use are not our weapons, they're his weapons. It's one because he said, if you'll stand and you'll plant yourself by the rivers of living water, your roots will go out into such a capacity that you will always prosper in my name. Now, I know that that's been taken out of context in many respects, and everybody thinks that they should have a pink Cadillac and, and, and you know, multiple. And, and the truth is, you can't all be like Pastor John. Okay? Just saying. That's not what it's about. Your prosperity, as much as it's the Lord that brings it to you, it's the Lord that decides what it looks like. It is. Your health is a prosperity. Amen? The grace of God that's upon your family is a prosperity. And the Lord would speak to you this morning and say, if you'll trust him and not your own arm of the flesh, that will be the story of your lineage. You want to pass something down to your grandchildren? You want to pass something down to the rest of your family? When you get ready to pass from this earth, and I'm not prophesying, 
But when you get ready to pass from this earth, how great would it be if you're able to sneak back and watch? How great would it be for you to hear them say, yeah, Grandpa trusted God. He didn't always get it right, but he trusted God. That's what I want on my tombstone if I can afford to get one bought for me. If I can't, would you folks agree that you'd, you'd at least stencil something on a piece of plywood for me? <laughs> Pastor Larry trusted God. Okay, Throw it up there with a stick, and as long as the wind doesn't get too strong, it'll stay. Paul tells us that our strength in this battle comes from being strong in the Lord, not in our abilities, not in the arm of our flesh. Not in the arm of our flesh. Because the arm of the flesh will do what? Fail us. It will. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally be strong in what? The rest of you that are sleeping. Finally be strong in what? In the strength of whose might? Put on the whole armor of whose? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the truth of the matter is, if you're going to win this battle, you're not going to win it on your own. I don't care how good you are. You're just not that good. You just aren't. I don't care how great your to-do list is, how tenacious you are in terms of your administration. I don't care how righteous you think you are. You will not win this battle on your own. You will not. You'll only win it as you give this to the Lord to win on your behalf. You need to take your horses, hear me. You need to round up your chariots and you need to give them back. You need to trust in the Lord. Just as Israel was ineffective when they relied on the horses and the chariot and not on the Lord, so are Christians who rely on the arm of the flesh. Instead of the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong and mighty tower, the chorus goes. I think that's a scripture. But once I get it in my head as a chorus, I, I can't be sure. The name of the Lord is a strong and mighty tower. It is. You're not a strong tower. You don't have what it takes to make this work. But if you'll trust him and allow him to take his rightful place in your life, sell your horses and chariots, have a yard sale, start this afternoon. Say, from now on, it's the Lord and it's me. And he's going to have to redeem me. He's going to have to win my battles for me. Because within myself, all I've got is the ability to say yes to him. That's it. Paul said in Philippians 3, verse 4, he was bragging a bit. He said, if anything, sorry, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. And then he said, let me take all of my horses and chariots and put them in perspective for you in Philippi as I speak to you. Here's the deal. Whatever gain I have, whatever capacity I have, whatever ability I have personally within me, I count it as loss. It's not only even, it's a loss. 
for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Here's the deal. We look to man or woman over here when we're in trouble, over here when we have need. We look to our abilities when there's a need. We look to all of the good that we've done and the favors that we can call on. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things per se. Don't spend a lot of time asking God for a lawnmower if your neighbor has one that you can borrow. Okay? Just take the lawnmower and put your prayers towards something that's more important. But the truth is, is that you will become self-sufficient in your faith. Hear me. In your faith. If you allow yourself <clears throat> to follow in that, in that line. I, I, the Lord spoke to me about this. I believe it was the Lord. I stand to be judged on this. The Lord spoke to me about this. He said, you tell them this because I love them. Tell them not to look first to their horses and their chariots. Tell them to not look first to their stuff. If you've been through Bible school, it means nothing to God if you don't place it in priority. Now oh, it's really quiet in here now. Now I'm getting depressed. It means nothing. Anything that you take and you put ahead of him is wrong. Let me go a little further than that. Anything that you put ahead of him is idolatry. Not only are you trusting in it, but because of the place of priority that you put it in, you're actually worshiping it and trusting it in a way that the Father doesn't want you to. There's a personal application to this, as well as a corporate application. And I close. If this resonates with you on a personal level, on a family level, on a work level, or even on a church level, Repent. Turn around and go the other way. I'm not talking to a group of sinners. And this may only apply to three or four. I have to be obedient to what the Lord said. Repent. Turn around and go the other direction. 180 degree turn. Stop trusting in your ability. It's not just that it's out of sequence. Here's the story. You'll never realize the victories that Israel realized if you're trusting in yourself. God has some things on your horizon, some battles he wants to take you to, but the only way he can take you to those battles is if you'll allow him to take you there on the arm of his strength, not the arm of your flesh. There are some things ahead of many of you this morning. It's not just a matter of getting things in sequence and priority order. That's part of it. But the bigger picture is this, the stuff that's ahead of you, the stuff that God has planned for you, the places he wants to take you, 
the things that he wants you to make a difference in, the victories he wants to give you and the battles he wants you to win, he can't trust you if it's up to you. And so he's saying to you this morning, forsake your chariots and your horses and put him first in that situation and watch what he does. Amen? Watch what he does. I love neighborhood church. I'm trying to figure out why I like it so much. Lots of reasons. It's not your coffee. It's probably the Drizners and, and a bunch of you that I've gotten to know. I love this church. But I, I, I'm beginning to understand now uh, a little bit more why I care so much about this particular assembly. It's this. It's, it's, and I know that this can be said about many other churches. But I'm saying it about you this morning. So hear me clearly. The Lord has a great potential and vision and plan for you as a church. It supersedes anything that you've had historically, anything that's been in your mind. It's greater than the dreams that you've ever had, Pastor John. It's greater than anything that you've been able to accomplish to this point. In fact, if the Lord has his way in the midst of this, in 50 years from now, if he tarries, this will seem like small potatoes. And I want you to know this is great. But this is nothing compared to what God has for you. Listen to me on a personal level. The things that God has for you are great, but he cannot trust you with those great things if it's up to you alone. If it's in the arm of your flesh that you're going to accomplish this stuff, God will never trust you with them because you're trusting in yourself. But if you'll just give that to the Lord and repent of that, the Lord said that he'll not only prioritize your life, but he'll actually give you opportunity to fall in line and receive those gargantuan victories in the same way that Israel did. The only difference is he gets the glory for it. Amen? He gets the glory for it. What are you trusting in? Don't say it. Just think it. What are you trusting in? Your job? Please don't think I think there's anything wrong with those things. I don't want you to stop working. Right? Pastor John certainly doesn't want you to stop working. Just don't trust in them. You trust in your education? Do you trust in your, the, your, your social circle? Do you trust in the material possessions you have? Is that where your identity is? The Lord says you need to take your identity off of that and place it on him. Neighborhood church. Neighborhood church. Listen to me. Do you trust in the Lord? More than you trust in the fact that you're a member of the PAOC. POC is great. Not as great as God. Mr. Former Superintendent. Would you agree with me? Is that where our identity is? Is it the fact that we're safe because we're under the covering of a denomination? Thank God for that. Or is it because we're in the covering of his wing? It's time to prioritize, folks. Why? Because the Lord knows that things work better when you trust him. But because he's got great, massive potential for you, and victories and battles you know nothing about at this point in time. 
If you'll just live a life that says, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I don't trust in myself. I mean, let's be honest. Come on. At this point in your life, have you not proven enough that the arm of the flesh will fail you? How many would say, yeah, I've got that covered. I've got it cased. I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I'm useless on my own without the help of the Lord. All right. Then I adjure you to come before the Lord and say, Lord, prioritize my life so I can be used by you. Give me the victories that Israel had because they didn't trust in themselves because they trusted in you. Personal victories, neighborhood church victories, kingdom of God victories, seeing people get saved, seeing miracles happen. None of these things can happen if it's the arm of the flesh that we're trusting in, but all of these things and more can happen if we'll trust in him to make it happen in our midst and not ourselves. Amen? We gotta trust him. We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.